Well, um, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. I was not here last uh, weekend, and, um, but we had a great time in Northern Virginia, uh, in the D.C. area with my sister, and so hopefully uh, you guys also had a great time, and thank you to Scott for preaching last week. And um, I wanted to make one quick announcement, uh, which is that we started out needing 250 totes, shepherd totes, which helps to feed the hungry, uh, the children who, um, who don't get to eat um, during, um, during the break because they're used to eating during school, and so we provide food for them, and we had 250 we started out with. Last week, we still had about 165 or so left over, uh, and so um, about 80-some picked that. We cut that in half, so now we have, what's the number? 85 left. And so the decks have not yet taken one, so we will. And so now we have 84 left. Um, but, um, but just to warn you, it, it, whatever is left over, Scott Shelton has to buy. And so we are, uh, we're hopeful, especially Scott. Uh, no, okay. Um, so please, um, please do uh, pick up a tote if you haven't yet. And we certainly are appreciative of those of you who have done that already. Also, before I begin, um, I know sometimes when I stand behind the pulpit for very long, sometimes it makes people uneasy because you're used to me moving around. And I'm just going to warn you, I am going to move around less than usual, but everything is okay physically. I am fine. There's nothing wrong with me as far as I physically at least. And, um, but sometimes it's, it's important for me to be more precise with my wording. And so I will be here for a little bit more than usual. And because we still have much to do in this service, and it helps me to make sure that I do it in a timely manner when I see this. So we have communion and a welcoming of new members this morning as well that we want to get to. So this is the second Sunday of Advent, and so we are looking at some different texts in Isaiah, and today we're looking at Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. And so I ask that you would listen to these words from Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I behold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not faint, grow faint, or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness." I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you in this, the second Sunday of Advent, with hope and expectation. We know, Lord, that you were birthed in a time, God, when things were bleak, and out of that birth were we given joy, hope, and peace. So we pray, God, 
That in this time, Lord, when it seems perhaps that we are in a place that is struggling or forlorn, that we would find peace in you even now. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, before we kind of dive into this passage of Isaiah, it's, it's probably helpful to just kind of know where the people of Israel are in this time. The people of Israel, as most of you know, have had kind of an, an up and down history, if you will. It, it began well with Abraham. God told Abraham that he was going to bless him in order to be a blessing. And sure enough, God provided much for Abraham. And so things were going well. But of course, there were also challenges. We have the famine. And we recall, because we talked about this not long ago, the whole story of Joseph and how Joseph, uh, God, through Joseph, helped to deliver the Israelites from starting starvation from the famine and they were in Egypt and they were flourishing but they were flourishing so much that eventually they began to intimidate the Egyptians and so the Egyptians decided to enslave them and so the Israelites were chained they were hopeless for a while but then out of that of course God began to use Moses and out of Moses came in and he helped to deliver them and they were marching on their way to the promised land. But alas, like most of us, the Israelites during the difficult times began to question. They began to wonder whether or not God was going to continue to provide for them. And because of those fears, because of that doubt, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But at the end of that time, at the end of that 40 years, they were finally able to cross over the Jordan, to go into the promised land, the land from which they have been waiting to enter. And for many, many years after that, there were military leaders and kings, and some did a great job, and others didn't do as good of a job. But prophets would come along from time to time to realign them, to remind them that they were called to follow God, that God was in control, that they needed to love God first. But they struggled. And finally, the Babylonians came in. And the Babylonians absolutely crushed Israel. They crushed their temple. They crushed their stocks. They crushed their livelihood. They crushed their spirits. They literally crushed the people. Many were killed. And of those who were not, the majority of them were sent into exile, into Babylon, where they would be enslaved again. And it is there where Isaiah enters into the scene. The people had begun to wonder, where is God? Does God care about us anymore? Why is God blinded to what is happening? Does God have the power to even do anything? Is God deaf? Is God even here at all? So in the midst of that, Isaiah comes and Isaiah begins to speak And he says, God is not done with you. God has not turned a blind eye. God is listening. God is here. And he will no longer be silent. And Isaiah begins to paint a picture. We see it here in the 42nd chapter that says, Their God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, as well as the one who gave them breath, That he is going to come and bring justice to the world. That he is going to come and he is going to give sight 
to the blind, that he is going to free the prisoner from the dungeons, from those who have been in darkness, that actually Israel, those who right now are scattered and lost and forlorn, that they will actually be a light to the nations. He is going to send a servant. And then the former things, slavery, depression, darkness, pain, will go away and the new thing will begin. It's a reminder of the theme that we have been going over with some regularity of late, of the fact that God is in control. And if that is true, then we need not be anxious. One commentator said that this is a good word for those who are depressed about the world that they are in. It's a word for us. It's a good word for us, not just because of the fact that it speaks joy in a world that is sometimes fairly depressing, but it's also a good word because it's a good Advent reading. Advent is a time for hope and expectancy in the midst of struggles or challenges. This passage speaks to that. It gives a vision of what is to come. It's a bit like we talked about a couple weeks ago or so when I brought the little baby shoe of, of Shaughnessy. And, and I put it and I said to you all, we, we took this shoe of our firstborn in the labor room so that whenever uh, Megan was going through the trials and the tribulations, of labor, that she could look at that shoe and be reminded of what was coming. It was a, a vision of what was to be so that she would not give up, so that she would not lose heart. It's a beautiful vision for us. But this week, what I was struck by was not so much this vision of what is to be, this hope of what is coming. What I was struck by was actually the way in which that vision was going to be fulfilled. You see, usually whenever you have a vision of something that seems so contrary uh, to the way things are right now, it's, it's a part of a spirited conversation. Okay, this is the way things are supposed to be. Here is the way things actually are. We need to have a rally cry of sorts. We need to unite. We need to take the hill together so that we can change the way things are. But instead of that great rally cry, we are given this, to be somewhat honest, less than riveting, less than fiery, certainly not very motivational speech. Instead, we are told that the servant whom God is bringing here who will do God's bidding, will not, to quote it precisely, cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. That a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully just bring forth justice. I like the way the message puts it. It's a bit more poignant. It's up here on the screen. It says, he will set everything right among the nations. However, he won't call attention to what he does 
with loud speeches or gaudy parades. He won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt. And he won't disregard the small and insignificant, but he'll steadily and firmly set things right. No offense to Isaiah, no offense to the Bible, but this is not the way these things are usually done. He he won't call attention to what he's doing. There won't be some kind of loud speech or great parade. He'll be careful that he doesn't hurt anyone along the way. That's not the way things are done. No, no, no. The way things are done, we know this, they're done with lots and lots of volume. Things really happen when it's a no-holds-barred, no-prisoners, bombastic approach. If you want to get something done, if you want to work for justice, then you have to be absolutely certain of what you're doing. And in the midst of that, if you aren't, you have to act at least as if you are. And you have to simply speak louder and louder and louder. But in the midst of the noise of those who say we are about justice... Isaiah points to a servant who works primarily, it seems, in quiet, steady, and relentless ways. This is the way of the servant of the Lord. Perhaps it's important right now for us to Ask, who is the servant? The servant, you see, uh, many people kind of fight over who exactly the servant is. Servant comes up several times in Isaiah. Some say, well, maybe it's Israel, and certainly God works through Israel. As Christians, of course, we would say that the servant was... Jesus, right, and, and we get that, right? We haven't just kind of conjured this up. The Gospel of Matthew actually talks about this. In fact, in Matthew 12... When Matthew's looking at who Jesus is, he says, well, you know what? He's basically like this person that Isaiah 42 was talking about. In fact, he quotes Isaiah 42 word for word. And what's fascinating is to see that when he's quoting Isaiah 42, what's happening in the ministry of Jesus is that the religious leaders are getting very angry at him. In fact, we're told, right before the reference to Isaiah, they have begun to conspire to figure out how they are going to destroy him. But what Jesus does, as it's been pointed out, is he does not decide that this is the time when I am going to show you who the man is. I am going to show you who the Lord is. I am going to put it to you. Instead, what he does is he simply moves on, not because he is afraid, but because he is too concerned with following the mission that God has given to him. And he moves not to a larger stage, but to the afflicted, to those whom Isaiah might say are the bruised reeds or the wicks that are faltering. Now, to be sure, there are times when Jesus absolutely confronts those who are in authority. 
But what is critical to see is that those confrontations are grounded in daily sacrificial acts of loving and healing. As Dale Bruner puts it, Jesus was quiet but not passive, nonviolent but not uninvolved, gentle but passionate for God's truth. Day by day, person by person, not flinching, not being crushed, Jesus worked towards the justice of God. And because of the fact that we have limited time this morning, I am not going to dilly-dally around this. But I am going to simply say that I believe Isaiah has a word to the church today, to the community that is called to embody the servant. I hope that you can hear this. We are in a time when the noise and the rhetoric and the self-righteousness is so voluminous around us and where everyone is certain that they are right and have never made any mistakes and are bent on beating their opponents into merciless submission while grasping desperately for power. We love to tell those on the other side of this issue or that issue that not only are they wrong, but that, quite frankly, we don't even know how they exist in this world thinking in the way that they do. We are in a time when words are coming flying out of our tongues or flittering quickly off of our typing fingers and where the more that we say or the louder that we say it makes us feel better and better about ourselves and even more certain of just how noble we are. We are in a time when someone so aptly put it where we love the ecstasy of our disgust with others. There is something thrilling, it seems right now, not only about having an opinion, but about taking that opinion and crushing anything and anyone that stands in the way. And in the midst of that self-righteousness and bombast, in the midst of the thrill of the shrill, we hear these gentle words from Isaiah. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring justice. See, I have a theory which is that the reason why we prefer the more bombastic approach is because it is much easier and more comfortable and less messy. Henry Nouwen has this great quote where he says that we grasp for power, that we act in this way because it is so much easier than doing the hard task of love. 
The hard task of love, as we saw with Jesus, is primarily about the daily grind of loving and giving and confessing and forgiving and serving and reconciling. It is the slow, relentless movement towards the justice to which Isaiah spoke. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, whatever side of whatever issue it is that you are on, the primary way to work for the kingdom of God is not by making a loud statement or a loud speech or a post on Facebook or railing with all of your like-minded friends about how stupid your enemies are. It is by engaging in the oftentimes small, unnoticeable, messy, and slow process of daily moving closer to God and God's kingdom. That doesn't mean that rallies are evil or that we shouldn't challenge institutions or post things on Facebook. Okay, it does mean you shouldn't post things on Facebook, but I do think That as followers of the servant, those things bubble up from our hard, daily, oftentimes quiet work of serving others. It is only when we are willing to do that that we can make certain that we are seeking after the righteousness of God and not our own self-righteousness. As I was thinking about what that actually looks like day to day. There was a picture that came to my mind. It was actually two different pictures. There were literal pictures, as you can see right here. These were taken by Brad Thompson, a ZPCer of our Loose Threads ministry. I want you to look at these hands. When I saw these a month or two ago, I couldn't stop thinking about these hands. To think about what these hands have experienced, what they've been through. You look at the hands, perhaps the hands on the left, and you know that they are perhaps a bit more feeble than they used to be. Perhaps not quite as powerful as they once were, at least physically more vulnerable, certainly not the definition of what we would call power at all. Or the picture on the right was someone trying to find, trying to thread the needle. As you look at the picture, what you see, of course, is both frailty, but also small, minute, slow work of cutting some material, putting that thread through the eye of the needle. What they're doing is they're putting together cloth. Not in order to make some kind of grand thing that is going to change all of the world. Actually, what they're doing is they're putting together, not all that extraordinary, no offense, but a fine, a beautiful thing, but just a quilt. A quilt. A quilt that they will then take downtown in order to give away to the homeless. That they might have a blanket to to give to those whom Isaiah might say, perhaps, I, I don't know, but those who had once been imprisoned or perhaps those who have sat in 
darkness. Nothing all that exciting in one sense, and yet when you hear that in the last five years they have made 1,500 of these blankets in order to give to the homeless, you begin to perhaps look at it a little bit differently. As I was writing this sermon and as I was looking at the picture, I, I, I thought to myself, people are going to say, really? Jerry? You talk all this stuff about this amazing picture of justice and about helping God's kingdom. You point out the acrimony of our politics, it seems, the infighting, the struggles of the church, and you tell us that the answer is in making quilts. Yeah. That's actually all week I've been working on it, and that's all I came up with. Because I actually think that if we want to follow the servant as described in Isaiah and seen in the life of Jesus, that it begins not with great fanfare or a megaphone or a litany of saying, I am right and you are wrong, but it begins by being grounded in the God who says, do you trust me enough? Do you trust me enough to be able to simply sacrifice each day in order to help bring forth justice. Let me be clear, I am not talking about ignoring what's going on around us or staying away from politics or rallies, but I am saying that if those things are not grounded in the humbling and suffering servant that we see in Jesus, then it is likely that we have been caught up in the kingdom of this world rather than in the kingdom of God. I am saying that it is in those feeble hands where justice often begins, knowing that God works through us, not because of the strength of our mouths or our hands, but because of our frailty. So often when we are simply loud or we are posting, what we are doing, quite frankly, is the lazy work of justice. The beautiful quilt of justice in God's kingdom cannot be bought at a store and it cannot be shouted into being. It is choosing each and every day to pick up the needle and the thread and slowly going about the hard task of love. It will require a sacrifice of time. There will be time when you prick your fingers and times when you have to go back and start all over again. But I am convinced that if we as a community in a time when this world needs a community that they can look to who says they are spending their time in the messy labor of love, if we can relentlessly work towards that mission without being crushed or overcome, then it seems to me we will begin to see the tapestry of God's kingdom even in our midst. It will not be as easy as raising our voices or shouting over our enemies, but in the gentleness and in the frailty of the work of our hands, we will be a part of the new thing that God has declared. 
question is whether or not we have the courage to reflect not the society in which we live, but the kingdom in which we will live. By God's strength, and by God's strength alone, might we be a light to the nations in a world full of darkness. Amen.